as we look to God's presence and guidance in the scriptures today, we're continuing to look at Colossians together this week. We looked at the first several verses in the third chapter of Colossians last week on keeping our focus on Christ in the heavenly places. And this week we want to look as Paul then begins to explore um, the amazing gift of relationships and how to make the most of our relationships with each other, whether it's in families or coworkers or classmates. How do we maximize our relationships? And so I want to start in the 10th verse, which is a little bit from last week, as we read chapter 3, starting in verse 10 from Paul's letter to the Colossian church. This is what he says. We've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ the Messiah rule in your hearts, since it's members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, and whatever you do in your words or deeds, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks, thanks be to God. God. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, uh, we need you now more than ever. We need your love. We need your peace. We need um, your grace. And so, Lord, be at work in our, our own hearts and lives this morning in ways that draw us closer to your healing and restoring and forgiving grace. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you want to have the best life you can have, right? If you want the best version of your life, um, there's one requirement to that. Uh, well, actually a couple, but uh, one of the primary requirements is to learn how to live in a close and loving relationship with those around you. How to have healthy relationships is key to being a healthy human being, to be a human being that kind of enjoys this life, the ups and downs and everything in it. And so Paul today realizes that, and he wants to help the church in Colossia think about um, who they are and how they can relate to each other in ways that'll be a blessing for them 
for their lives and for their future. Because so often um, we can miss the boat. I think, uh, for instance, of back in high school, uh, I would dig out my dad's old records, right? And some of the favorites that I dug out were the Moody Blues, uh, but I also dug out um, Simon and Garfunkel. And uh, I learned to sing harmony with the help of Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel. Um, and one of their classic songs talks about this issue perfectly today and what not for your life to look like. And the song is called, I am a, you know it? I'm a, I'm a rock, I'm an island, yes. And so I'm not gonna sing it for you this morning. I know I'm tempted to, but I'm not. But I will share it with you. I want you to think about the words. A winter's day in a deep and dark December. I am alone, gazing from my window to the streets below on a freshly fallen, silent shroud of snow. I am a rock. I am an island. I've built walls, a fortress steep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need for friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter. It's loving that I disdain. I'm a rock. I'm an island. Don't talk of love. Well, I've heard the word before. It's sleeping in my memory. I won't disturb the slumber of feelings that have died. If I never loved, I never would have cried. I am a rock. I am an island. You see, I have my books and my poetry to protect me. I'm shielded in my armor, hiding in my room, safe within my womb. I touch no one, and no one touches me. I am a rock. I am an island. And a rock feels no pain, and an island never cries. That sounds like a miserable life, doesn't it? Sounds like a horrible life. But some of us get to that, those kind of places where we think being a hermit or living by ourselves in isolation is, is the only solution. Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. Charles, John, excuse me, Henry Cloud and John Townsend, uh, who wrote the book Boundaries and, and other stuff together, uh, talk about this by saying, we're, listen, as people, we're never so spiritual that we don't need the encouragement that God provides through other people. We're never so spiritual that we don't need the encouragement that God provides through other people. And then Henry Cloud also shares in his book, Changes That Heal, how to understand the past to ensure a healthier future. He says this, denial of one's need for others is the most common type of defense against bonding. If people come from a situation, whether growing up or later in life, where good, safe relationships were not available to them, then they learn to deny that they even want them. Why want what you can't have? They slowly get rid of their awareness of the need. And so... Um, my heart for us this morning is in our lives, in our relationships, watch out for that tendency to want to be a rock, to want to be an island, 
to think I don't need anyone. I can be my best alone. Because it's just not true. We need each other. God made us relational beings. He made us to be in good and healthy relationships. And we have a role in that, and those around us have a role in that. So how, Paul, how can you help us find a way to be as healthy as we can be and make the most of our relationships? Well, Paul helps us in this journey. The first thing he reminds us of right at the beginning is who we are. And he wants us to know, in order to have loving relationships, first, you must know you are love. That's where it starts. You are loved. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. He reminds the Colossian church that they are chosen. They are part of the elect of God. God has made us holy. He has set us apart for himself to live in an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. And we are dearly loved. Literally in the Greek, we are God's beloved. You are loved deeply, greatly, and unconditionally. But do you know it? Do you know it? We are made to experience and to know that we are loved. And it's out of that love of God for us that we then become able to have healthier relationships with those around us. Uh, I caught on Facebook this week, one of our church members had gone in for a procedure uh, at the doctor and they had to put her under anesthesia to do that. And she had mentioned that in that moment that she was going under anesthesia, uh, one of the doctors was holding her hands and how God in that moment expressed to her like she had not felt perhaps ever, that she was loved. Just in that doctor's holding her hands for just a few seconds, she said she experienced God's love for her in that moment in a deep way that she'd never found before. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. That's what we all need. That's what we're all made for. It breaks my heart that so many of us, we wait until our 50s or 60s or 70s or 80s to try to know that we need to hunger for it and search for it and be aware of what, how that might work in our lives to experience it. You know, one of the great prayers you can really pray is, God, I've never felt loved. And, and, and the scriptures say that, that you love me, but I don't really know that for sure. Could you please bring me to a place where I could experience your love in a way that I could know it and be assured of it? Because I know that that would transform me and my life forever. That's the kind of prayer that we ought to be praying is teaching our kids to pray, right? As teenagers, we ought to be praying it because our life will be so much better, so much stronger, so much more fruitful, so much more blessed if we experience God's love 
at the younger age rather than waiting till we're toward the end of our life. But wherever you are, let that be your prayer. You are God's chosen people, holy and beloved. And I know some of you say, well, Chris, that might be for the good churchgoer or the person who studies their Bible, but I don't know that it's for me. Wait a second. Didn't you read the previous verse where God said that now we're putting on the clothes that are renewing us in the knowledge of the image of the Creator? God is doing something new to restore His loving and holy image inside of us that was broken at the fall by selfishness and sin. And he goes on and says, Here there is no longer Gentile or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Christ is all and is in all. And as Paul lists this, uh, this group of folks in the Colossian church, when they get to the word barbarian and Scythian especially, the Colossian church are probably thinking, hey, wait a second. You mean the barbarians that have been annoying us in, in our lives for years? You mean the Scythians who are so uncivilized and, and corrupt and broken and, and hostile and all this? You mean, you mean they're included too? Paul, you must be insane. You must be crazy. God's not going to include barbarians and Scythians? What have you been drinking? But it's right there. As I said last week, it includes Palestinians and Israelis and Arabs and Indians and Chinese and Russians and Ukrainians. If Christ moves in, we become God's called people, holy and dearly loved. And we can, any of us, no matter who we are, no matter if we're from the wrong side of the tracks, God loves us and longs for Jesus to move in and take over in love. You are loved. Now, I could probably stop there, but, but Paul does keep going. And he goes on and he says, because and, and from the love of God that begins to work in our hearts and lives and make us into a new person, then other virtues and other fruits should also start to show up. And so he lists these virtues. He says, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He says, these virtues are a recipe of healthy relationships. The word compassion there literally means that, that the inner stuff, the, the inner bowels of our life uh, flow out in compassion toward others. That is, that we're soft-hearted. Uh, you know, we have emotional care for those around us that comes from the deep inside out so that emotionally we are compassionate toward others, that we're kind toward others, that we're humble and, and seek to value others at least as much as ourselves. We, we respect others and, and see the image of Christ in them too that we're gentle with others, that we're patient with others. That word patience right there literally means to be long-suffering. Long-suffering isn't easy. 
Being patient isn't easy. It's tough. But yet the quality of people that God is trying to make us to be as he fills us with his love is the kind of people that are long-suffering for one another. And so as you look at your own life, your own way of doing relationships, is this a recipe that it's, it's work in and through your life? Or is more the opposite the way that you run your relationships? Instead of a heart of compassion, do you run your relationships hard-heartedly, only thinking about yourself? Instead of kindness, are you quick to be mean? Instead of humility, are you quick to be boastful and proud about who you are? Instead of gentleness, are you harsh? Instead of long-suffering, do you have a short fuse and a short temper? These paint two very different pictures of the heart of a human being. And Paul is saying, if you want healthy relationships, then don't choose the negative part, the self-centered part. Choose compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and long-suffering patience. He then goes on and describes how that works because he knows that whenever two of us get together, that eventually we're going to step on each other's toes. We're eventually going to hurt one another. We're eventually going to disappoint one another. And so he says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And so he gives us two images here. The first is that we're to bear up with each other. We're to, we're to almost put up with each other. And so that's why we need a little bit of long-suffering to do that. But good relationships will learn how to bear with each other. A positive example of this bearing I think of from the Old Testament, the story of Moses. Moses had carried the people out of Egypt. They'd gone through the midst of the sea on dry ground. They'd made it to the other side. The Egyptians were behind them and no more. They thought they were home free to go to the Mount Horeb to receive the new covenant, the Ten Commandments, and then to go to the Promised Land. But before they could get there, the Amalekites came out of nowhere and saw a weak people and thought they could take advantage and so they fought against Israel in the plain. And Joshua, Moses' helper, took the Israelites and went down to battle on the plains. And if you remember the story, Moses is up on the hill, right? He's overlooking the battle. He has the staff of God in his hands. And when he puts his arms up like this, then Joshua and the Israelites are winning and victorious. But he's getting pretty old these days, and so it's hard to keep his hands up in the air like this for very long, right? So eventually that, that staff gets really, really heavy, and his arms begin to go like this, and pretty soon they're on the ground. And when that happens, the Israelites start losing, and the Amalekites start winning. And so uh, Moses needed someone to bear with him. And so his brother Aaron and Hur come alongside his hands and they lift up his hands and he sits on a rock with Aaron and her helping him hold up the staff of God until the people are victorious in the desert. And that's what we need for our own lives. 
That's what we need in our own relationships, whether our spouse or coworkers or friends. We need that kind of life where when our arms get heavy, when our life gets weak, we can come along one another and lift each other up and bear with one another. To bear with one another and to forgive. If any of us have a grievance, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now in the Greek, the word here is actually even bigger than the word forgive. Really, literally in the Greek, it would be uh, to be gracious toward that, the person that, uh, that has harmed you or be gracious to the person you have a grievance with or be gracious to the person that you blame. And that blame may be justified blame. But Paul encourages us, listen, learn to be gracious with those around you. Even if they've stepped on your toe, even if they've hurt your feelings, even if they've caused you grief, just remember how gracious Jesus has been with us and how Jesus in his grace forgave us. And so we are to follow our Lord's example. And so that's the picture before us. Jesus loved you and me so much that he took the nails of a cross. He was willing to die, not because we'd earned his love, not because we can work for it, not because we can do anything to deserve it, but he died for us to show that his grace was enough to save us. His grace is enough to forgive you and me. His grace is enough to bear with us in our weakness and sin. And so we are to follow his model in how we treat one another in the hard times, in the moments where, you know, as a spouse, you know, that you always have occasionally, I bet most of us have, where we wake up one morning and say, who is this person next to me? I'm not sure who I married, right? And they're probably saying the same thing about me, you know? Never. That's amazing. You must have married an amazing guy. Ron is, Ron is unlike most of us. But we have those moments we're going to hurt each other. And God's call and reminder through Paul is to be like Jesus for one another and find ways to be gracious and to forgive. He says, over all these things, we're putting on love because love binds all this together in completeness and perfection. And so love is the dominant characteristic. As I said, once God's love gets a hold of our heart, then it can be worked out into all of our lives. And we become people who, like Jesus, begin to learn how to love well in hard times. And then finally, the Lord, excuse me, Paul gives us two final principles that we want to wrap up with. In verse 15, he says, Let the peace of Jesus the Christ Rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Brothers and sisters, I know for our own community, it's been a hard year. It's been a traumatic year. 
Uh, it's been not easy for any of us whether the church is headed in the direction we want or not. Um, and my hope and prayer for us now is that as we take our wounded hearts, as we take the, the pain that we've experienced over the last year, that we can begin at some point, I pray in the days ahead, where we can look to Jesus again for God's peace. Let that peace in Jesus Christ, let that be in charge of your hearts. Paul reminds the church in Colossia that as a community, God has called us to a place of peace. That's what God wants to move us to together, is in that direction. And the only source, the only way to get to that place of peace or shalom is in Jesus, letting his peace take charge of our hearts that are in turmoil or hurting or wounded, and to begin to allow Christ's healing work to work once again in us, to help us believe that we're better together than alone. And then finally, Paul's last bit of advice is to be thankful. If you learn to be thankful, you will be a positive person who will be able to bless others. So how do we learn to be thankful? We learn to be a person who, who hungers for the God and the Lord Jesus Christ in worship. Paul points us to community worship as the place where we learn to be thankful people. Because he says, let the message and word of the Messiah live among you with richness, so rich that you can teach each other and encourage each other with all wisdom. And not just through teaching, through the you know, preaching or uh, Bible study, but also through singing psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Singing and worship is, is an important part of helping us be shaped as a thankful people so that we get to a place where Paul says, whatever we do, whether we do it with our words or whether we do it with our actions, that we'll do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so Paul reminds us to let Jesus' peace rule and reign. He reminds us to be thankful people who are connected to worship and song and praise and growth because in this community and in this context, we can be a healed people, a loved people, uh, a people who find peace in the midst of the storm. And that's my prayer for us today and for the days ahead. Um, the thing I hope that you won't be, that you won't settle for in your life, I don't want to settle for it in my life. I don't want to be a rock. I don't want to be an island. Because yes, a rock may feel no pain, and an island may never cry. But, uh, but to miss out on the chance to have friends and loved ones and family that, that we can have valuable relationships with is a great, great gift we all are wired for and we all need. And Jesus in his love 
and grace and peace will help us find that place once again. In the name of the Father, Son, and